This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast could be sponsored by you, yes you, the listener, through the podcast Patreon page that you can find by clicking the link in this episode's description. However, if supporting the podcast financially is not a possibility, that's totally fine too, especially if you are an Apple podcast or iTunes listener, because you can leave the show a rating and a review. It's important with the way iTunes works, helps other people find the show and helps the show continue to grow. So please leave a rating and review. Um, There's another option by Stitcher, which also allows you to do that. And uh, don't forget, there are other ways of listening to the show if you're not an Apple podcast or iTunes listener by heading on over to Google Play. Uh, like I said, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, and wherever else you get your podcast, the Chase Thomas Podcast will be there. And lastly, I highly encourage you to check out my website at chasethomaspodcast.com to read me at Medium uh, and to follow me on Twitter at Chase underscore Thomas and to go to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Hopefully you're still with me because this is the end of me rambling. All right, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, we're back, and it's and it's a very special podcast tonight because Ethan Hammerman. It's his birthday, and he could not think of anywhere better to spend his birthday evening than with me on a podcast. And for that, I will always be grateful, Ethan. Good evening. How are you? It's been a good birthday so far. It's been a really good birthday. I, I'm very happy. As I said on Twitter, uh, 27 is always my lucky number. February 7th, 27. So it's going to be a very good year. I, I'm feeling it. And you got a and, new mic. Oh which... yeah, this mic is dope. <laughs> it's like I'm in the room with you. It's yes. like I uh, crossed the Appalachian Trail and ended up in Atlanta. Mm. Can you go? Wait, the, I was about to reveal a lot of ignorance about the Appalachian Trail by asking the question I was about to ask. But you being in New York, I was just thinking of like how you go from, eh, I was like, oh, nope, not going to go down that road and expose my ignorance. And this is coming from someone who is an Eagle Scout, and I have no idea um, how any of that would work going from the Appalachians in New York to here. I honestly don't know either, but we can, we can go on. It was a metaphor, so <laughs> we're good. Uh, now I want to look it up. Um, all right. Well, we. Uh, how are you feeling? This is where I want to really start. Is like you're for people who somehow don't know if this is your first time listening to this podcast. You may not be familiar with Ethan writing for Pat's Pulpit or whatever, but Ethan is a Pat's fan. And Ethan, how are you feeling? about uh sunday it's been a few days have you been able to like gather your thoughts and just kind of really reflect and think about the the era that um just you got to experience and just the game itself like where are you at with this game 
It's funny because, and I think a lot of other Patriots fans agree with me. I give all the credit to the Eagles. I didn't feel bad about this loss at all. Like the Patriots were just beat. They couldn't stop Nick Foles. And if you can't stop Nick Foles, you don't deserve to win the Super Bowl. Period. End of story. And they just couldn't do it. The Eagles made more plays. And I think that the better team in the game won. I mean, I don't really want to talk too much about the Super Bowl. I don't uh, remember a ton of the the intricacies that might have happened. I think the biggest issue is that the Patriots, whatever the game plan throughout the week, they did not execute on that game plan on defense. whether it was this entire Malcolm Butler thing, which I don't want to speculate too much um, off the field because there have been a lot of rumors that have been swirling. But on the field, the big thing for me is that pulling Butler out of the game, the Patriots didn't have a nickel cornerback who they trusted. So they would have to drop one of the safeties down to play on a wide receiver or a back. And the issue is that that exposed them because they weren't able to play the alignments they wanted on the deep back end. So that's why Jordan Richards is on uh, Corey Clement when Corey Clement gets like a 70-yard catch instead of Patrick Chung who might have been able to keep up with him more. That's why Devin McCourty is playing man on Zach Ertz on the last play of the game. That's why Malcolm Butler doesn't play at all. Um, so I, I, I really do believe, and, and at the same time, uh, the front seven did nothing. They got no pressure. James Harrison... Uh, didn't do very much. Trey Flowers had a really quiet game. The Eagles offensive line played extremely well, credit to them. And the Patriots just couldn't do anything on defense. When you don't execute your plan and then you muddy it up by not making plays and doing other weird personnel things, uh, you're going to be outplayed and they deserve to lose. And and I think that uh, for next year, they do get back Derek Rivers. Their defense can really only get better from where they were, but they're going to need to make some pretty big changes there. So we'll see what happens, but yeah, the Eagles deserve to win the game. We don't even know who's going to be coordinating that defense next year. I think it's going to be Brian Flores, their linebackers coach. Okay. Would you be okay with that? I would like that a lot more than Greg Schiano. So, okay. I'm here for that. His name out, right? I don't think it's official, but Belichick loves Shiano. It's a weird relationship. So I, I'm not, I'm not making any assumptions until the ink is dry there. Mm, yeah, that's fair. Speaking of like, I know you said you didn't want to like kind of speculate on Malcolm Butler, and I don't think this really falls in speculation, I guess. But I would say that I thought it was interesting just how big of a story his absence became um, the next day because so many of us, I think, were watching from home and didn't realize that Malcolm Butler wasn't in the game a lot until after the game. Maybe you, I'm sure they like, mentioned it in the first quarter. Yeah. At the and end of the first quarter, there were some people mentioning that Malcolm Butler hadn't played. And the thing for me is that Malcolm Butler hasn't had the best year, but he's played well at certain points. And I think he was the guy to go on Nelson Aguilar. I Nelson Aguilar's game is short routes and after the catch. And that's the one thing that Butler has shown that he's able to stop fairly consistently. And the Patriots didn't match up Aguilar with Butler. They were um, matching him up guy. with Johnson no. Matamosi yeah, yeah. and with Patrick Chung. And I think that was a major oversight, especially once Chung got hurt, which I'm still stunned that they didn't even bring Butler in for that. Uh, and it was just one of the bigger oversights I can remember Bill Belichick making. He was utterly outcoached in that game. And I, 
there might be more details that we don't know about, but from an outsider's perspective, I think that was definitely a major tactical error on his part because it ruined the entire defense they wanted to play. The point of signing Stephon Gilmore was that they had this big three cornerback group of Gilmore, Eric Rowe, and Butler mm-hmm. who could defend on the back end and help to compensate for the fact that the front seven couldn't get pressure consistently. But then you're sort of shooting yourself in the foot by taking Butler out. So now you have a front seven that can't get pressure consistently and a back four that isn't that that's okay but you're playing against a spread offense where guys are getting open after one second and Nick Foles is throwing them quick passes and they're making plays after the catch so it just wasn't well set up by the Patriots and it happened in the last game of the season where I think it all uh, unraveled yeah and you know what's interesting um so I have two points one and this is the last thing I'll say Butler is you made a uh, made the point that Nelson Aguilar, the way he plays and why he's had such a 2017 to 2018 just career revelation is that he's now playing exclusively in the slot. And the Eagles figured out that that's where he belongs and he's excelled in that role. But, and this is something you also pointed out, that Malcolm Butler would have been really nice to have in, as your nickel guy to cover Nelson Aguilar. Like, I don't think... That would have changed the entire course of this game because the Eagles only punted, I believe, one time. So I don't think Malcolm Butler being in the game for the majority of those defensive snaps would have necessarily slowed the Eagles down all that much. But who knows? It may have slowed them down and made them punt like one or two other times because he had some cool deflection or everybody else got put in the right spots. Because as you pointed out, people were out of place because Malcolm Butler was not in play and people were in weird matchups. And that came back to bite them. But I just think it's one of those things where if the Pats win that game, no one's talking about Malcolm Butler getting benched. People are saying, oh, what a great decision by Bill Belichick to put the team above a guy who whatever is going on behind the scenes. And the only thing we've really heard that seems like somewhat uh, confirmed is that it was a minor team rule violation. So whatever that means. But I just, I think it's, it's kind of overblown because Belichick is just, he'll do stuff like this. He traded Jamie Collins and he traded, he'll trade guys even if they can still be good players and can help the team right now. And I, I don't think this would have been a big story if the Pats had won. I don't know if that's like this outlandish take, but I, I just did not come away thinking, oh yeah, if Malcolm Butler is in the game, this is a totally different story. I, I just don't think that's how it was going to go. And coming into this game, and this is something that Perfectball Focus talked about um, a lot that, uh, leading up to this game was the matchup to watch had nothing to do with the corners with New England. It was how was New England going to deal with the Philadelphia Eagles front seven? And they actually did really well. And that was like one of the craziest things to me is that Brady wasn't getting hit very often. Brady had time. And David Andrews and like Shaq Mason got beat once on that led to the fumble recovery by uh, Derek Barnett late in the game, which was costly. But for the most part, the New England <laughs> offensive line was incredible. And we heard so much about this high pressure rate on Brady and that being the Achilles heel for him in the Super Bowl with what the Giants did and the Falcons doing that early in the game, but then getting tired uh, in the second half. But I, I didn't think that that turned out to be this huge thing. But what I will say, it this was something that maybe we sh- this goes back to the Butler stuff, is that Nick Foles was incredible from the get-go. 
like they marched down the field immediately. I think they kicked the field goal first, but they got in the red zone and you know, they like Foles just never felt uncomfortable and they never got pressure on him. And it was really just Kyle Van Noy. And that was really about it of guys who could really get after him. And it was, it was pretty amazing to see just Nick Foles as comfortable as he was. And then I just remember thinking after the first quarter of like, Oh, we're getting the Nick Foles from a week ago or two weeks ago against the Vikings where he's just not faced and he's off to a good start and everything else where that was not the case against the Falcons. And I think the Falcons gave him the most trouble, especially after that first quarter where Foles was just really uncomfortable with the pressure and he was throwing low and like, he's doing the same kind of like out routes to Corey Clement and Nelson Aguilar and Zach Ertz up the middle. It's just, he does the same kind of stuff, but he was not comfortable in that first quarter against the Falcons a month ago. And in this game, it, was a lot like the Vikings and they needed the Patriots defense needed to kind of get in full head like the Falcons did in that first quarter before he figured it out. But uh, I, that's basically a lot of my big takeaways from the Super Bowl was just how good Foles was from start to finish and how uh, the Patriots line held up in a great way. And it didn't really matter because Brady had arguably his best Super Bowl performance ever, at least statistically, getting over 500 yards and throwing no picks and just never quitting and never saying die, and it didn't matter. I have nothing else to say. I mean, seriously, offense was perfect. Make one stop on defense. I think Butler maybe Butler doesn't miss that tackle bad, and mostly missed in that third and long. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think Butler might not lose a running back in coverage or Chung might not lose the running back in coverage like Jordan Richards did on that long Corey Clement play. So you make a play and maybe the game's different. But what can you do? I mean, you win some, you lose some. You can't be a Brady's bad sport. Best performance in the Super Bowl for you? Seattle. I think it was. I think it's Seattle. Okay. Because Seattle was just that 10-point deficit. And the Atlanta one was great, but he did he should have been picked off a couple of times that last drive. And he got a pick six, and he wasn't perfect in that game. It felt and, like Brady was perfect on Sunday, and it didn't matter. And he got picked in that Seattle game, too. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, like that's the thing with these Super Bowls. It, everything is on the edge of a knife. Mm-hmm. Like, those two giant Super Bowls, if not for two of the flukiest plays in NFL history, the Patriots probably win those. The Patriots probably lose Seattle and Atlanta. If, not for some crazy plays that happened there. So it's just how it works. And you can't, you can't take the good without taking the bad too. And I'm happy for Philadelphia. I think that they are proving to be, they're a fun team. Um, I think that one thing that this has shown me is just how good of a coach Doug Peterson is and how great that offensive scheme is not to discount Carson Wentz too much, but to me, it's pretty clear after watching Nick Foles the past couple of weeks but he is in a very good position to succeed, and that inflated his numbers a little bit uh, and, and may have made him a little bit better than his actual talent level is. Which makes and, me wonder if he's going to stay – or, I mean, he's under contract for another year in Philadelphia anyway. But So uh, this is my prediction. Okay. I, I think Foles – we'll see if Foles leaves. I'm not entirely sure about Foles. My thing about Wentz is I want to give him two years because okay. – after an injury, you need at least a full year to recover. And I, I don't think this first year back he's going to be 100%. I think he'll be good, but look at Derek Carr this past year in Oakland. He, yeah. he struggled. 
It that takes backstab, time, though, wasn't it? I'm giving Wentz a little bit of leniency. I'm giving him some rope. Uh, we'll see what happens in two years, but I think next year, if he comes back early, I, I'm not too optimistic of him like setting the world on fire like he did this past year. So you're suggesting sitting Wentz for all of next year and still getting no, full? I think you, oh, okay. No, I'm not. I think you have to play him. I'm just saying that maybe you lean on your running game a little bit more. Mm. Maybe Doug Peterson adjusts a bit. And I think from a fantasy standpoint, uh, he might not be someone who you necessarily jump on super early in your fantasy drafts if he ends up starting the season right away. If I if I had control of Nick Vol's future, I would I would sell high. He's got his ring. I think it's just it would be so weird, but he seems like the ultimate team first guy that it wouldn't bother him to get relegated back to the bench behind Wentz, which is what will happen if he stays in Philadelphia. But at the same time, <laughs> I want to see this retire. guy. Oh. Nick, Nick, Foles, Nick Foles should just be like, I got my Super Bowl win. Oh, I love this. Give me some endorsement deals. Yeah. I'm 20-whatever years old. I'm just going to ride it out. He can, And you know what he does? I We figured it out. He takes over as the color commentator on Monday Night Football. Why not? Oh Go my God! Sean McDonough and Nick that's Foles. That's the thing with Malcolm Butler too. Malcolm Butler has goodwill forever because of that interception. He also and Nick goodwill Foles because the... he could have taken the the sour way out, and that statement that he put out with his agent uh, was uh, interesting to say the least. But something that I think will help him in his next deal. But he's not retiring by any means. No, but Nick Foles. I mean, Nick Nick Foles. He has goodwill forever now. He won a Super Bowl. He is Jeff Hostetler. He is Jeff Hostetler 2.0. Didn't they rename uh, Street in Philadelphia already? I think it wasn't Broad Street, but it was like Brady Street or something to Full Street. If they did, that's great. I don't know if they did. but Nick Foles, that, man. Great. I mean, do you think the Philly fans would have reacted the same way if they had lost that night? Because that was yeah, maybe my second favorite thing about the the Philadelphia Eagles winning the Super Bowl outside of my cousin getting to celebrate who's from Philly and everything else. So I have a lot of Philly fam and good for them. Shout out to cousin Derek. But yeah, I just, I thought that was amazing. I couldn't get over everything I was watching. I can't believe like even from Philly's just what you think of a Philly post Super Bowl win celebration would look like. It was above and beyond that night and i'm glad i was scrolling through twitter and keeping updates as to what was happening in the streets of philadelphia because that was just what a time it's the first time i've ever actually been glad that we all have smartphones because it was just very necessary to see people hopping off the ritz carlton and doing trust falls and dudes literally eating horse shit to the celebration of everyone around him it what a night I, I'm going to hold my tongue because I could say something controversial now, but I'm not going to say it. Um, I mean, if Nick Foles had lost that game the way he played, I still think that Philadelphia would have nothing but fond things to say about him. Okay. Because he did literally all he could. He he made some beautiful throws. That one to Jeffrey, the 50-yard bomb. Uh, the Clement one was Clement just was great too. on the money. And, and these are plays that the Patriots actually had some good coverage, but Foles just, he had the time in the pocket, and he just stepped up and delivered some absolute dimes. And it's funny because I watched him in college, and I remember that I liked Nick Foles, but I just thought he was like the most generic quarterback ever. <laughs> he had great touch on his passes, but his arm was just okay. And I, I kind of said, yeah, he's like a mid-round guy. I mean, we'll see what happens. 
And meanwhile, this generic quarterback just dropped dimes everywhere. Like, like he was like actualized Sam Bradford in this game. Just yeah. bucket throws after bucket throw after bucket throw. I want to see him in Jacksonville. I'm fine with that. That's, I would be totally I, fine if with I that. If I could control Nick Foles' future, it would be for the Jags to trade for him. Although I, I want the Jaguars to get Lamar Jackson because I think that would be great. He does not seem like a Tom Coughlin guy at all. I mean, he's fine off the field. It's not the off the field. Does Tom Coughlin, when was the last time Tom Coughlin ever coached a mobile first quarterback? Brunel. Are we calling Mark Brunel mobile? Yeah. Okay. Mm, maybe. I don't know. Do it like there's this whole thing with Lamar Jackson and a lot of these quarterbacks where it's like when you're that close, like the Jaguars were, can they really go the rookie quarterback route? I Look at know. Nick Foles. Nick True. Foles like did absolutely nothing <laughs> for this year before he actually had to start and he came in and, and lit the world on fire. Look at Deshaun Watson. Yeah, that's fair. Sean Watson, if he stays healthy the whole year, the Texans probably make the playoffs. Yeah, I would agree. Do you think Gronkowski's retiring? No. Okay. I don't think so. I don't think he's retiring. I don't think Belichick's retiring either. I do think Belichick probably isn't going to be here much longer, but I don't think he's retiring yet. Yeah. Well, that's a good segue into the next thing I wanted to talk about, which is the rivalry. It's back on. According to Chris Ballard, the general manager of the Indianapolis Colts, after Josh McDaniels backed out, after being announced as the Indianapolis Colts head coach, where he, uh, according to Ballard, called and said, got bad news, and Ballard just waited for him to say what the bad news actually was. Just an unbelievable night. And I could not believe when I got home from a dinner that (laughs) McDaniels had backed out. I I thought it was a mistake. Just what in the world is happening there? And I remember over the weekend, it was, I think, Pro Football Talk, Mike's, Mike Florio, who tweeted out or wrote a story about McDaniels having second thoughts about taking the Colts job and everything else. And apparently, it just seems like it's a family thing, which I don't... It's probably a factor. There's probably a lot of different factors that we'll never know about. But the fact that McDaniels just decided to go back to New England after everything and just weeks and weeks of leading the Colts on was just... It was insane, and as a McDaniel's guy, I, I I don't know how you defend him, but I in- highly encourage everyone to read that Greg Doyle opinion <laughs> column, <laughs> that op-ed on McDaniel's, because it is just a scorching of the earth of McDaniel's and Patriots way, but it it just unbelievable. I'm going to defend Josh McDaniel's. All right, I'm ready. I um, was hoping you would. Yeah. I was hoping you would. No, I am going to. First of all, fuck Greg Doyle. He sucks. <laughs> Second of all, yeah, no, all these, all these Indianapolis guys are so <laughs> bitter. They're still upset about Deflategate, and it's hysterical to me. They're, they're just so mad. Uh, there is no rivalry between the Patriots and Colts right now. There, there's no rivalry. It's not a thing. I'll, I'll say that. So speaking of McDaniel's, First of all, I think that his agent screwed up because if you didn't know, McDaniels and his agent parted ways today. His agent is also Chris Ballard's agent. Yes. And I think what happened is that the agent overpromised and then didn't deliver McDaniels. Because first, Indianapolis had all of this press gone and they didn't even have a signed contract yet. 
Yeah. Like they announced McDaniels was going to be the head coach before he signed the contract. That's not on McDaniels. That's on the Colts. So why did the assistants sign the contracts before McDaniels did? So we don't know that McDaniels actually hired them. They might have been hired by Ballard. Hmm. Well, Ballard talked them up, especially the linebackers coach from Dallas, who I'm not going to pretend to know how to pronounce his last name, but Ballard knew him, I think, from years ago, maybe his Bears days, I want to say, but he's like a Rod Marinelli disciple, and he and Rod Marinelli are very close. So yeah, it makes sense that he was like kind of like a ballard pick that would make sense to me i mean i feel i feel bad for the coaches but again and i don't know what mcdaniel's like actual conversations were with him i know he called all the coaches after he decided not to take the job and and said something to them wasn't it Uh, several hours though wasn't it not a wouldn't you call them before you call ballard well not if he hadn't been the one to actually hire them in the first place Mm. I feel like the agent over promise and, and he's the one who's really frustrated and screwed over the Colts here. Well, now he's like having like, he, Meanwhile, he said parted ways. I think he fired McDaniels. I think McDaniels probably, I mean, their, their relationship was done after this. I mean, this dude is the GM's agent too. So he sort of screwed over his other client, uh, which I think that this is the second case, by the way, with the Patriots specifically that we've had a, had a situation where, two men who are way too close to one another who have the same agent screw over leverage for each other or there's some sort of little agent issue because it happened with Brady and Garoppolo too because they have the same agent so uh, just diversify which agents you work with that would be my advice to NFL teams because when you have the same agent representing multiple players it gets a little bit complicated but the thing with McDaniels for me and I, I guess it's it's twofold one the public schools in Massachusetts are significantly better than the schools in Indiana. And this is the first year where all of his kids are going to be in school together. And he has four kids. So I can see why his wife probably didn't want to move the kids because Indiana is like the 35th best public school state in the country. And Massachusetts is five. That that's a thing for people. That's a major decision-making factor for a lot of people. Um, I, Maybe not for most coaches, but hey, maybe if some coaches cared more about their families, their kids wouldn't end up in trouble or they, they they would be better parents because there are a lot of coaches who aren't exactly the best parents in the world. So that's number one. Number two is that Bob Kraft went to McDaniels and I, I'm pretty sure he went to him because he saw that after the Super Bowl, there was all of this chaos with Butler and Belichick and Brady. And there's been all of the stories that have gone out. And I think that he went to McDaniels who Belichick does like a lot, who Brady also likes a lot, by the way, and said, we're going to give you this lifeline. You're going to be the future. I'm going to pay you more money. You need to stay here. And, and I think that that was, that that was, it was done after that. I, I think that, McDaniels got the loyalty he wanted. His family probably wanted him to stay too. And this, oftentimes we think of this as the coach's decision, but hey, the coach is married and the coach has a family who has to look out for too. And I respect it. Now, if it's the pettiest option, which is this is all a deflate gate um, revenge story, I don't respect it as much, but that's the funniest damn thing I think I've ever heard. So. I think if it was I would a still find it issue, really it would be Robert Kraft being the one to like. Oh, totally. To, yeah. Yeah, it would totally be Kraft. 
<laughs> Which makes sense. Like, I don't think that's actually a, an outlandish point in this story. I mean, I don't, I don't think, he, I don't think it happened. But if it did happen, that would be really funny. Just remembering back to just how annoyed Robert Kraft was over the Brady suspension, and just knowing that it was the Colts that ratted them out, I, I could see a billionaire being that petty. I, I think oh, there's totally. precedent for that kind of behavior. So and yeah. There- and there's so much pettiness right now. For for some reason, like the world's just a petty place. So I, yeah, I would I would find that really funny. But again, I don't think that's what happened. And one other point, just because I've seen this brought up a couple of times, I think it's something valid. This happens to players all the time, where they're given a deal and the team backs out. And I don't feel that bad for the owners that it happened the other way around. I, the people I feel bad for are the coaches. Yeah. But if they, again, if I don't know who brought them over in the first place. I don't think it was McDaniel's for all of them. So I, I mean, they'll make they'll make the best of it. And as long, I, I'm pretty sure they have some good staff members there. And worst case, if they wanted to leave, they could probably find another job pretty quickly. So I'm not too concerned for them, but. Yeah, I mean, that, that's sort of where it is. I'm not concerned for the Colts all that much. I think it was always a weird fit for me. I think Matt Patricia made a lot more sense in Detroit and like his relationship with Bob Quinn going back like 12 years and stuff like that. That made sense. But McDaniel has always felt like an odd fit, especially because, and I, I don't, we don't really know how much this would have played a role in McDaniel's decision, but Andrew Luck, the stuff is that's still coming out, it's not good. It's pretty ominous. And he's still not throwing footballs yet. And it's just, I mean, we're several months removed, I believe, from his latest surgery. And he went overseas, I think the Netherlands, um, to get uh, more work done. And I, I think if I'm any potential head coach, that scares me significantly because Andrew Luck is the most enticing option about coaching the Indianapolis Colts. And if Andrew Luck is not capable of throwing a football next season, why would you want that job? Or maybe never again. I mean, obviously you can still draft his replacement, I suppose, um, because they are picking at what third, I think in the draft this year. So that is on the table, but I just, I mean, unless you're like thrilled with Jacoby Brissett, I'm, you know, McDaniels has a lot of experience with Brissett. So that was part of it where, yeah, I could see it, but you know, it just never, it never seemed like a Colts guy and like the Colts knowing their history with the Pats to zone in on McDaniels over, I mean, the guy who always made the most sense to me was Dave Tube, but special teams coaches are rarely hired unless your name is uh, John Harbaugh. And I think that would have been the way I would have gone. But ultimately I think they're gonna be fine because I think this is a really good de- defensive coordinator hire. I think this guy has done great work with DeMarcus Ware and just so many guys in Dallas and just their scheme. And if you listen to the Chris Ballard press conference today, which I highly encourage everyone to do because Chris Ballard, maybe the most captivating general manager I've ever heard speak. I think it's in play. Like that guy is so confident, but like so genuine. And I, I just, it was almost like he almost talks like a really good head coach in a way and it's it's really bizarre but he's great and he took the high road and everything and he even said McDaniels is a great football coach and we wish him the best and i have like he he's just all class i don't know i I love chris ballard and i think ultimately this is going to turn out to be a positive for them because if they go the way i think they're going to go which is frank reich the offense coordinator uh who has 
years of experience who worked with Peyton Manning in Indianapolis, there's a really easy way of salvaging this entire situation, which is just hiring him, keeping the coaching staff in place, and then um, going from there and maybe even bringing back Peyton in some context within the organization to also uh stay face but anyway i think this is all going to work out and i think ultimately they're going to hire right and it would not be surprising if he's a long-term better fit for that team than mcdaniels it's pretty wild that teddy bridgewater is throwing a pass more recently than andrew luck yeah oh man poor andrew luck man and poor nfl because they they might be on the same team next year <laughs> you think bridgewater is an option for indianapolis I, I mean, I I would love it if Bridgewater starts somewhere next year. That, that's my hope, my prayer. Um, I'm not necessarily expecting that. Well, did so. you see the story on his weird contract status where the Vikings, because he spent the first six weeks of this 2017 season on the pup list, that he his contract makes it so that they – can keep him and that he doesn't have full like free agent rights or something. I'm not very, I'm not an expert on the minutia that goes into this, but basically there's a contract loophole that Rick Spielman is probably going to exercise with him. So if he does want to leave, they can trade him instead of him choosing his destination. But because he spent the first six weeks on the pub list that clouds his free agency this uh, off season. So I don't know where he ultimately ends up, but I hope it's somewhere where I get to see Teddy Bridgewater play football on Sundays again, because I guess yeah. that. And it would be great if he stayed in Minnesota because the weapons there now are on point. Minnesota's in a really weird situation because we really we still don't know who they're going to hire as their next offensive coordinator, which is gigantic. I think it's going to be Filippo. Yeah, I mean, he would be a great hire, I think. I think it'd be a better, more inspiring hire than Ben McAdoo. I agree. It would, it would be a much better hire than McAdoo. Yeah, so hopefully that's where they go. And I think um that would be a lot more of a manageable offensive coordinator choice unlike the falcons who went from kyle shanahan to uh steve sarkeesian and not matt lafleur who is now the offensive coordinator of the tennessee titans with uh, another guy you're familiar with mike Vrabel. but that is neither here nor there i'm going to be upset about the lafleur stuff i think for a while i don't understand why they just didn't promote him to head coach i mean um offensive coordinator when shanahan left i will never understand that I don't think you will either, based on the silence. Nope. <laughs> you do this, man. You'll go in these sides like when I, I feel like I've gone on some sort of rant. I don't and you agree with it, and you have no, you have no response. So instead of saying "yep," you just like let it sit there for like seven yep, seconds. Yep, I have nothing to say. Nothing <laughs> to say. Uh, I'm gonna have to like start putting like making notes in the podcast of like, oh, take out that seven minute or seven seconds of silence from Ethan after I uh, go on a rant because we agree too much and he just uh, he doesn't say yeah. So there you go. Um, last thing though, on McDaniel's, do you think he's the next head coach of the Patriots for sure now? I think so. Okay, I, I think that had to be said to him, and it sounds like one one of my favorite quotes of today was that Bill Belichick in a statement said that he's going to give Josh McDaniels more exposure to some of the personnel aspects of his job Mm -hmm. that he wouldn't already have in terms of the cap and whatnot. And quote, he said, I am going to open my world to you. (laughs) So I just wonder what is in Bill Belichick's world. Do we really want to know? I I think it's lacrosse. We're going to talk about lacrosse. We'll talk about hoodies. We'll talk about Nantucket. We'll talk about 
um, the Navy. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But that's pretty much his world. I thought you were about to say when you started off the first one with, instead of saying lacrosse, I thought you were about to say LaCroix. And I was about to quickly ask you a follow up. Like, is that a thing? Does Bill Belichick drink a lot of LaCroix? Am I basically Bill Belichick over here? And I'm very disappointed that it was actually lacrosse and not LaCroix. And now I want someone to Photoshop Bill Belichick and drinking LaCroix. Yeah, I don't think he drinks LaCroix. I don't either. I don't think Bill Belichick drinks anything. I think that Bill Belichick subsists off the <laughs> sadness of opposing fans. It's very possible. Scott McLoon, uh, one of my favorite Twitter follows and recent ex general manager of the Washington Redskins. He's apparently joined the Cleveland Browns in a now. Have you looked at the Cleveland Browns just front office staff now? It's gigantic. I think pro football reference has like an entire list of teams FOs, but their front office is gigantic now. And they've gone completely the other direction from the Sashi Brown era and Paul D. Podesta, who I think is still part of the front office. But, you know, like they've now gone completely the other way. And perhaps my favorite part of this is that Scott McGloon's already getting in John Dorsey's ear who is the general manager of the Cleveland Browns now about Baker Mayfield being his number one guy and being super high on Mayfield. And now it seems like Mayfield number one overall is, is definitely in play. I trust McLuhan. I think he's really good. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm all about it and I hope they take Baker number one. I I'm still not optimistic about that, but we'll see. Well, they don't even have to take him number one, I don't think, because they have number one and number four, and I think you could take. I think he'll. Who are they going to take at one though? I, like this is a weird draft class because I don't think there's a player I take at number one. So you probably trade down, but would that piss off a lot of Browns fans of them trading down? Trade there? down and then taking quarterback at four. Yeah. Well, I think the issue is that if there's one quarterback you want, I think you have to take them at one just to guarantee you get them. Yeah, I don't know. I don't see the Giants taking. Baker? I could. I could. I don't know. Do you really think that front office Dave Gettleman is here for Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham on the same team? We don't know what Shermer wants to do. That does not seem like a Shermer thing and Dave Gettleman thing. Those two guys are as business cold and calculated personalities as it gets. And that's like part of the reason that he hired Shermer and is close with Shermer is apparently like he sees him as like a businessman and Shermer sees everything as a businessman. I don't know. I don't see them meshing well with Mayfield and Odell. I don't see that partnership being a uh, fruitful one down the road. I, I think Baker and Odell would be really fun. I so, think on a football field it'd be fun, but I think the other dynamics of like... Baker in New York might not be the best thing. I think that they're going to end up with Josh Rosen. Which I think it, makes a lot of sense, especially it, if you're going to keep Eli around, you can have him develop under Eli. That is, uh, that's a good idea. I'm here for that. It seems like a good fit. Or maybe they end up with Josh Allen. I still don't know where Josh Allen's going to go. Because I can see Josh Allen dropping a bit like Garoppolo did a couple of years ago. Because there are people who thought Garoppolo was going to go in the first round. And then he slipped to the end of the second. And Josh Allen, to me, is a, he's not the same prospect as Garoppolo. Because I don't think he's a, he was as good in college. But he has a lot of traits similar to Garoppolo. Like, I think he's in play for the Patriots. Really? At the end of the first round. Hmm. That would be that would be interesting because uh, I don't the think thing he's is be that there really the what they need round. is defense. I think he could be. 
I think it's possible because a lot of times some certain quarterbacks get um, their value inflated. And I'm not sure about Allen. I can't really tell if the hype on him is legitimate or not. But I could see some of his value being inflated a bit just to be used as a smokescreen. That would be that'd be fun. Josh Allen being a I it, would it really surprise you though if they drafted a uh, the Patriots I'm um, talking about would you be surprised if they drafted a quarterback early this year? Oh, they they're going to. I think that they draft a quarterback in their first three picks. Really? Yeah, they need a backup. Huh. They lost Garoppolo and Brissett. Yeah. That And be if if Belichick leaves in 2 years, you know Belichick's not going to leave without a quarterback. You know who it's going to be. It's going to be Ryan Finley. That's going to be their quarterback. Finley's not in the class. Oh, that's right. He decided to return to the uh, for NC State. Yep, for I like Finley a lot. No, he's good. I like him a lot. I, the rumor is that it might be Kyle Lauletta from Richmond, who apparently uh... looked really, really good at the Senior Bowl. But I, I'm not entirely sure if he has a, a big enough arm for the Patriots. The Patriots like a guy with a big arm. And Lauletta has some really nice touch on his passes, but he doesn't have the gun that I think the Patriots want. I think the Patriots want Josh Allen. Do you know what I like? Mm-hmm. This might be my favorite Brown scenario. Saquon Barkley, number one overall. Who, Daniel Jeremiah. Whose birthday it I, is today, by the way. You share a birthday with Barkley. I, I discovered this last night. I yeah. share a birthday with him. Well, happy birthday to Saquon Barkley and Ethan Hammerman. Um, Barkley, man, like, he's kind of been undervalued now i think a little bit too much where people don't realize just how insanely talented this guy is and he's like Le'Veon bell mixed with just like marshall uh marshall falk and i think that's just seeing how valuable Le'Veon bell and jay ajayi was for philadelphia and how great Deion lewis was under the radar for new england the idea that you having a really good running back does not could not change the trajectory of your season is silly, especially like Leonard Fournette too, and how good Dalvin Cook was early in Minnesota. But anyway, Barkley, I think, would be really, really fun in Cleveland. And if you go Barkley one and Mayfield four, just I think that's a slam dunk for them. I'm gonna pump up my good friend Luke Easterling, who runs DraftWire.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did a seven round mock today. That's a lot. That's a lot of picks. That's a lot. And um. Man, I just want to read some of the facts that are in this first round mock for you because there's some interesting stuff. So, first of all, he has Saquon Barkley going three to the Colts. Mm, I've seen that, yeah. I My entire Barkley take is he's a good running back, but he reminds me a lot of Jordan Howard. And I think that hmm. you can get a similar running back later in the draft. I think he's a good player, though. I just don't know if I take him number three overall. Uh, but moving on from that, Mr. Easterling has six quarterbacks going in the first round. Who are the six? He has Josh Rosen, one to the Browns. Sam Darnold, two to the Giants. Baker Mayfield, six to the Jets. Oh, no. That would be that would be an adventure. <laughs> Josh Allen, 15 to the Cardinals. Mason Rudolph, 21 to the Bills. I love Mason Rudolph. Oh. I think that's high for me no nah, i i, I really like I, i'm so low on mason rudolph and oklahoma state quarterbacks never ever but and i didn't realize this the bills have back-to-back picks this year because yeah. of the chiefs that's cool and uh lamar jackson 27 to the saints oh my god i love that 
I, I would love that. I think Lamar Jackson should go higher, but uh, this Lamar draft Jackson is interesting. Sean Payton? Oh, I, I, pretty, I very much am here for that. I, I'll be honest. I'm still a little bit behind in my process in terms of evaluating a lot of these players, uh, just because it's been a pretty, pretty busy year. But everyone's saying that this guard from Notre Dame is going to go top five. I can't see that happening. Quentin Nelson? I, I don't. I wouldn't take a guard top five in the draft. That's so much money for one of the most fungible positions in football. Who was I watching? Who was putting up tape of? Nelson? If a guard is like like this, reminds me of twenty thirteen when Eric Fisher went number one overall and three right tackles one of the top four picks. Now, granted, one of those right tackles just won a Super Bowl, but that, that's still really high for three great tackles to go. Yeah. I think we're still going to get him early, though. Like, he just seems like a freak of nature. He will. I just, if you're a top 10 team and you pick a guard, that's not moving the needle at all. Well, I think it depends on which team. Like, could you see a good team trading up that just wants to add another good offensive lineman? Like, I don't know. Like, the Cowboys moved up. up The Cowboys moving up, like, three picks to get him? Sure. The Cowboys moving up to five from 19? No. Hmm. I'm trying to think of anyone on this list that would make sense of like uh, the Niners at nine, maybe moving up if they were like really hot, like just building. This maybe. Yeah, I could see that maybe, but and the Niners are close. I think the Niners are really close to, to being something special. I'm just looking at at least the picks in this particular mock draft, though, uh, and, and some of the players who I like are a little lower than I thought they would be. I really like the defensive tackle from Washington, Vita Vea. I think that he could be better than Danny Shelton in the NFL. I think he should be going in the top 10. Hmm. And uh, this Roquan Smith is great. Tremaine Edmonds. I actually have to watch a little bit more Edmonds, but both of them are in the top 10 and that feels a little bit high to me. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Just little things. I have to do a little bit more research on my uh, prospects, but this is a weird draft class. This first round also only has one wide receiver in it, and it's Calvin Ridley from Alabama, which I would at the very least put Cortland Sutton in there as well from SMU. Yeah, he was someone, I think, coming into the year who got a lot of hype and someone that people assume was going to be a first-round guy, but now may not. He might go like the Josh Dotson route where people kind of forgot about him, but he's like this uber-talented guy that go if he goes to the right team, he'll actually show flashes of like, oh, yeah, no, this guy is really, really good. Or like a Stefan Diggs or guys like that who are under the radar but are supremely talented if um, they're able to stay on the field and stuff like that. Yeah, Cortland Sutton in this mock is 39 to the Bears. Ooh, Which, I love that for that would be a good fit for yeah, uh, James Washington, another receiver I like is fifty three to the Bills, which that would be a great value for the Bills. Uh, Nick Chubb is fifty one to the Lions, and Sony Michelle is thirty three to the Browns. Who, by the way, also have two of the top picks in the second, two of the top three picks in round two. So they're really going to get a chance to rebuild on the fly. Ronald Jones, 37 to the Jets. Ronald Jones, and this is why I have trouble taking Saquon Barkley at three. Ronald Jones might be better than Saquon Barkley. Hmm. He's really, really good. And then one more name I want to call out. And really, it's a position. There are two tight ends in this class who I think can be absolutely fantastic, and that's Mark Andrews from Oklahoma, who 
This mock has him at 61 of the Jaguars and Mike Gesicki from Penn State. Uh, both those guys are fluid. They're athletic. They are, they're, they're really, really good um, seam threats. And I think both of them could be very good NFL players. If the Patriots decide to go for a tight end with one of their picks, which I don't necessarily think that they'll do unless there's a major issue there, I could see them taking one of those guys. Pat going tight end would not be outlandish, I think, at this point. If Gronk is really a problem, they'll go tight end early. They also just need. They wanted Adam Schleinlich. They need another tight end anyway. Like they really like they tried the Martellus Bennett late season burst and that did not pan out, obviously. And then Dwayne Allen was a huge bust for them. I think they always are going to be happier having two tight ends. Well, with Bennett, he got hurt, and then I think yeah. the injury was worse than they thought it was going to be. So, but like so. you, you just know that they want to have somebody else. Um, even if Gronk comes back, because no matter what, we know Gronk is nearing the end of his football career. The fact that we're I, I would say he's nearing the end. I would say that I think there's going to be a point where we're going to want to manage Gronk's snaps a little bit more. But well, when I, I honestly, nearing the end, I mean, like, do you see him in a Pats uniform in 2021? It depends. Okay, I could. I think that the Patriots are going to take a look at some of the veterans on the market. Also, Trey Burton is someone who I, I think they're going to take a long look at. Um, Tyler Eifert's a free agent. I'm not sure he resigns with the Bengals. Ooh, I like that a lot in New England if he can stay healthy. He's just the biggest question mark of like so much talent, but he never can stay healthy. Another a couple of sleepers who uh, they all do a little bit, but I, I think people sometimes underrate a lot of these guys. Luke Wilson on the Seahawks sort of fell at the face of the earth, but he, he's going to be available this year. Uh, John Phillips on the Saints is a nice, consistent player. Richard Rodgers on the Packers. Croc uh, Gilmore on the Ravens. Like There are going to be some names there, and I think that the Patriots could mine the, uh, the bargain bin and find a tight end for this team. Ben Watson's a free agent, too. I mean, he's 37 years old, but he's been on the Patriots before, and he's still playing. Hmm. Well, they have options, so they'll. I'm sure the Patriots will figure it out. What did you make of Alex Smith getting traded to Washington? I thought this would be a bigger, a much bigger story than it actually was. This was like a three-hour story that was in and out, and people were done with it. But I thought it was incredibly fascinating, and I think obviously this means this is the end of Kirk Cousins, and they picked Alex Smith at his number, which is going to be significantly less than uh, what Kirk's going to get this off season. But I. I don't know. Like, where do you stand on Alex Smith getting traded to Washington? I think it was a classy move by the Chiefs because I think the better deal would have been to send him to Cleveland. And I think Cleveland had a lot more um, in the way of picks and just uh, interesting young talent to trade to uh, Kansas City for Alex Smith. But sending him to Cleveland, I think, would have been kind of cold-blooded at this point in his career. And they sent him to a team that I think still has a lot of talent. Obviously, they gave up a really good cornerback in the deal that the Chiefs very much needed. If you watched any of the Chiefs this year, it was Marcus Peters and a bunch of um, subpar corners um, in the back there with Kansas City. But I I can't decide if I think this really it moves the needle at all for 
Washington or what he's going to look like there? Or is he a good fit? Could he have some Andy Dalton like success with Jay Gruden? I don't, I don't know where I'm at with it, but I think it is interesting that they're going to do this. I actually thought the trade was very even. If I'm being honest, I think people, the reactions honestly are more interesting to me than the trade itself. Because people all of a sudden were saying that Kendall Fuller is like the best cornerback in the league. Which, he's a good cornerback. He's not a bad cornerback, but you can replace Kendall Fuller. Kendall Mm -hmm. Fuller is, there are other Kendall Fullers out there. I'm fine trading him to get Alex Smith and to stabilize your quarterback position because they were not going to resign Kirk Cousins. So I, I don't have that much of an issue with that along with the pick. But I don't think that the players are that excited to play with Alex Smith. Yeah. Because Chris Thompson had a weird reaction. A couple of the receivers Which had a weird, weird reaction. Too, I think that was weird to me. definitely enjoy playing with Alex Smith. It seems like wherever he goes, running backs always flourish with him. Yeah, it was just like weird to see some of the reactions there. So... Biocount, he's a great I, I feel dude. like part of it might be everyone really likes Kirk Cousins. People really like Kirk Cousins. Yeah, and we still have no idea where he's going to go. Um, but we'll see. I, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how he, he fares in Washington. That division, I think, gets better. And at least they now know. And I think that's an under-talked-about uh, fact with this, is that the Washington Redskins can now move past the Kirk Cousins drama. And they just know that they have, and the team, especially in the coaching staff, they know that they have Alex Smith under center for the next couple of years. And they don't really have to worry about it. What's going on with Kirk Cousins and his contract. For sure. I mean, that was just hanging over them for years and years. And now they can move past. And Kirk Cousins, I'm, I'm happy for him. I hope he goes to the right team. But we shall see. I wonder if they're going to drop the quarterback in the first round still. They are another team that I still think, even with Alex Smith, should be looking at another quarterback too. Yeah, especially uh, later in the draft. I think that they could find someone. Final thoughts on the season. This could be our last like NFL podcast with no games for a while. Um, this has been fun, man. I'm glad we were able to do this this year, and uh, I'm sure we'll like we'll reconvene when we get closer to draft time and stuff like that. But any final thoughts on the season? Year one of our... Uh, I don't know what we what should we call this of uh, the partnership on the, on the pod. It's been fun. Um, I thought this was a really good year. Overall. I do too. I think it was a great year. Lots to talk about and uh, onward and upward for next year, but thanks for having me and um, get getting ready for the draft. So going to be a lot of fun times in the coming months. All right. Well, we'll figure it out. Um, Ethan, we can find you on Twitter, Ethan Ham. We can read you at patspulpit.com and we will we will talk soon man all right we're back in the pod and we are joined by pride of detroit.com's jeremy reisman who is now the managing editor i think the last time we talked you were not the managing editor of the detroit lions block uh i might have been i might not have been i've been there about two and a half years now Okay, maybe you were, and I just did not realize that you were a managing <laughs> editor, and that is a uh, really great way of opening the podcast, <laughs> is me misremembering your actual title on the site, so that's good. Um, I'm going to leave all this in, so people can make fun of me for messing that up, but anyway, the Lions introduced 
a Patriots head coach today, which as it turns out, it's more difficult to do <laughs> than one might assume it is. And Matt Patricia, he is reunited with his best friend, Bob Quinn. And something that I think when we last talked, like it was one of those things where we were like, Jim Caldwell is, he's going to do just enough to keep his job. And we just know that the way the season's going to go, like especially that back half of the first of um, their 2017 schedule is just super easy. And it's going to do just enough to go eight and eight or like seven and nine or nine and seven. And they're going to just keep him because it's just not bad enough to fire him. And that's what it seemed like was going to happen. They made it just enough to not make the playoffs. And, you know, I thought they were going to keep Caldwell. I was surprised, but they moved on. And Matt Patricia is your next coach of the Detroit Lions who are trying to win their first playoff game since my birth year in 1991. So tall orders for Matt Patricia, but at least he gets to go back and work with his BFF Quinn. Yeah, and that was the thing I probably took most from his press conference is just how good of friends they are, just how chummy they are. I, I kind of view it as like almost a buddy cop film now in Detroit because these guys go all the way back to going on scouting trips together. And they, you know, they were in each other's office all the time. They were sitting next to each other there in meetings. And you, you mentioned the the whole Caldwell saga, and I thought it was kind of surprising to begin with that that Bob Quinn didn't go out and get his own guy immediately. And, you know, I was asked at the time by some some other podcast, you know, is Caldwell going to stick around? Is Caldwell going to stick around? And I, I thought the answer was going to be no. So that was surprising to me that they did stick with Caldwell for those two years. And then towards the end of the season, it kind of became clear that especially with the way the Lions dropped the ball at the end of the year, that he wasn't going to be sticking around. And now more than ever, it, it, it almost kind of see, seems like this was the, the long term plan from the get go that that Bob Quinn had always, at least in the back of his mind, viewed Matt Patricia as as the head coach of the Lions in the future, and he finally got his wishes here. And that's why I like brought up like the whole BFF stuff. I'm not just like I don't think that's hyperbolic to suggest that like it. Reading that press conference and just seeing how those two were interacting and reading the stories on their history and their 12 years together and all that stuff, like those two, like you pointed out, the whole BFF thing is very real. And it seems like they have been dying to work with each other for a while and definitely miss each other um, while he was in Detroit and Patricia was in New England. But it, they got reunited and it, it was it was happy. I, I think it, um, at the very least, it it looked like a positive step for the Lions. And, you know, I'm always going to be a little anxious or a little suspect about a Bill Belichick coaching disciple getting a head coaching job at this point. But Patricia, I think you have to look at all, I think it's easy to fall into that trap of like, are they Romeo Cornell 2.0 or Charlie Wise 2.0 or whatever. But Patricia, you, I think it, you, to be fair, you have to look at each of these coaches individually and Quinn and Patricia have an aligned vision that if this fails, at least you'll know you can clean house after this. Right. Like they are, they are tied at the hip. And like, if this does not pan out, then you're going to do the whole full clean slate and it won't be that awkward transition years like we talked about with Caldwell and Quinn who clearly weren't each other's first choices to work with. So there's always going to be some awkward um, behind the scenes stuff, I'm sure, between those two. And just uh, the teams know, right? Like Bob Quinn probably wants his own guy and there's he's coming from New England and 
just Jim Caldwell knows that he's playing, he's having to coach for his job every week and all that kind of stuff. But I think it was one of those where I took from the press conference that this could work. And maybe it's just because we've never seen Patricia as a head coach before. But if I, I do think this kind of continuity and this understanding between the front office and the head coaches, very much an underrated aspect in the NFL and just sports in general. And I think that aligned vision could pay off. And I think it gives them the best chance of paying off. And that's why it was like this past off season, why Josh McDaniels was so picky and wanted to work with Lewis Riddick as like a package deal in San Francisco is I think a lot of the smart football guys know that this kind of thing is important and that you need to be on the same page with the higher up so that you can get the right players, get the right system and everything else. And all that said, they kept Jim Bob Cooter. So who knows? Right. But, but I, I think you bring up a good point that this is kind of an important relationship that I think a lot of teams overlook. I mean, we talk about the, the branches off of the Bill Belichick tree. This sort of relationship is what broke some of that apart. I mean, you, you think about Eric Mangini. He was never really on the same page as, as Woody Johnson, um, the owner there. You know, same thing with obviously everything went wrong with Josh McDaniels and, and their relationship with the owners there. And and even, you know, you, you think about the time when Scott Pioli joined Kansas City and, and maybe that was an example of, of this sort of partnership. But even that became kind of a sour relationship. Todd Haley was accusing him of tapping his phones. Um, there was just clearly no trust in a lot of these situations in which former Belichick disciples branched off. And that doesn't seem like it's going to be a problem in Detroit at all. Are you worried about the Jim Bob Cooter staying on as offensive coordinator development? Um, I am and I am not. In one sense, it, it kind of gives Matt Patricia a lenient year if things don't work out. But after all, I mean, he is mostly a defensive coach. And you, you think about what I mean, he's 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 a defensive coach and a first time head coach. So to kind of put put all of these resources into a completely new offensive system, offensive coordinator, all that. It's it's a lot for him to take on, especially since, you know, he's already behind the eight ball having to start in February instead of January, like a lot of these news coaches get to. Um, and and you, you have to value the relationship between Jim Bob Cooter and Matthew Stafford. Um, that's a real thing. He really did turn around Matthew Stafford's career, and now Stafford's churning out statistics that make him a top-five quarterback. And that's a relationship that you can't just throw away. You know, the Lions did get rid of their quarterbacks coach, which was kind of a surprise this offseason. So if they were to get rid of Jim Bob Cooter again, you'd kind of be starting all over again with, with Matthew Stafford and Granted, the guy turned 30 literally today, and he probably doesn't need as much coaching assistance as he did, you know, 10 years ago. But I still think there's enough optimism abound with the offense, especially the pass offense, where you could make a really good argument to keep Jim Bob Cooter. The question is whether they'll ever turn around that running game. And they did switch the offensive line coach this year. So that brings at least a little bit of optimism on that side of the ball. And they brought in a lot of college guys, didn't they? I was looking at a lot of their coaching changes, and they brought uh, Paul. Oh, how do you pronounce this dude's last name? Pascaloni. Pascaloni from Boston College, and he's was the head coach, I think, at UConn. When did he go zero and twelve at UConn? I feel like he did, but he was awful wherever it was. But he is extensive NFL experience too. But yeah, I think they've hired a couple of college guys and are trying to revamp some aspects of the team, but. Is there any coaching staff change outside of 
Jim Bob staying on that uh, concerns you or you're excited about either or? Um, I think Pascaloni is is a guy that a lot of Lions fans are a bit concerned about just because his only experience at defensive coordinator in the NFL were two very short-lived tenures. Um, a lot of people, I mean, the, the counter argument to that is that this is going to be Matt Patricia's defense anyways, and Pascaloni is essentially just going to be a figurehead who, since he has all this coaching experience, can kind of help Patricia with all the first-time head coach stuff that he might not be familiar with. Um, he's also an, a defensive line guru. Um, that's kind of his specialty. So I think a lot of Lions fans were hoping that was going to be his title, and maybe he'd get you know associate head coach thrown in there too. Um, but he's definitely you know he's he's almost seventy years old and. When you're hiring a new coaching staff, you, you kind of want to see those young, bright faces with new ideas. And, and Pascaloni obviously isn't really that guy. But there's something to be said also for that sort of experience, especially when you do have a first-time head coach uh, in, in position. But outside of him, um, it, it's just kind of a lot of unknowns. Like you mentioned, a lot of these guys are coming from college. Um, Al Golden. Al Golden, uh, he was with the team as the tight end coach. Now yeah. he's moving to linebacker, which is kind of an odd move. But, uh, he, you know, his his original kind of coaching came from the Those defensive side. Well. Right? Yep, from linebackers. And then he was defensive coordinators for a while. A lot of these guys actually have a link to Matt Patricia from his time in Syracuse. He was there for about Ooh, two, three years. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, and, and th- I think that's why you're seeing a lot of guys coming from the college ages. Because, you know, it's not... As we've seen, it's not simple to just take someone from the Patriots and put them on your team. So it's not like Matt Patricia could go out and get Brian Flores, their linebacker coach, who's probably going to be their defensive coordinator now. It's not like he could just pick any of their position coach and just bring them on over to Detroit. Um, the the Patriots do value their guys over there. Yeah. And we've seen the guys that they really uh, value, they're, they're, they're going to put up a fight for. And you should be happy that Charlie Wise is not going to be on the offensive <laughs> coaching staff. Yeah, pretty happy about that. <laughs> um, but Jeff Davidson, man, it, it seems like he's the one who has the most to prove or and the most pressure on him uh, heading into this new group and new coaching staff, I think, in year one, right? Because you mentioned the running game is maybe the biggest question mark and biggest source of Lions fans' frustration um, in recent years. And he is the one who being tasked to kind of... Uh, remedy that situation absolutely yeah and and he does have the most to prove on the offensive line no question about it or on the offensive side of the ball um he does have quite a bit of experience you know he was partially responsible for developing what's become a pretty prominent running game in minnesota of course he was also helped out a lot by a guy named adrian peterson when he was there um Mm -hmm. But he, he, pretty much everywhere he's gone, he's at least improved the offensive line statistics, mostly in the running game, at least a little bit. Um, he was with the Broncos last year. Wasn't a great running game there, but it was, you know, 24th, 23rd, somewhere around there. And considering the Lions have been 30th or worse for the past three or four years, honestly, they'd take an improvement to 24th or 25th. And, and that's all that they really need because this offense is still going to be based around Matthew Stafford. And he's still a guy who's been wildly successful at play action plays. He was, I think third in passer rating on play action plays, despite not having a running game at all. So you just give that guy an inch with the running game and and he'll take a mile. Do you think Patricia, I guess, obviously for him to take this job, he has to have some sort of um, belief in Matthew Stafford. I feel like that's underselling it, but I, I do think it's it's interesting that he had Stafford specifically had such a great season that went under the radar this past year that like 
when you think maybe it's just the new England thing where it's just like, we think of all these coordinators like, Oh, would they having worked with Brady and Garoppolo and Brissett, like going from someone like Brady to Stafford, is he a Stafford guy and, or a Stafford, a Patricia or a new England guy? Would he work in that system and things like that? Do you think that, um, that's a relationship that's going to work, or maybe that's part of the reason they kept Jim Bob Cooter on there just to kind of keep that continuity, which is another undervalued aspect. Um, in a lot of just situations like this where he they found something that works with Stafford and that is um, his relationship with Jim Bob and he, Stafford obviously thrives off this but they also brought in George Godsey uh, who got fired uh, not too long ago by uh, Bill O'Brien and then just like spent time away but now he's back I I think it's interesting because I when you do think of Matt Patricia and the Patriots and they're just their style you don't think of matt stafford right it, i mean it, it does seem a little bit odd i'm, I'm certain that um it, it'll take some sort of adjustment for matt patricia but he's shown no signs of you know being dismissive of matthew stafford he's actually one of the few uh detroit Lions players he actually called ahead of time wished him a happy birthday last night that oh, sort of thing <laughs> yeah uh and I, I definitely think you have a point there, though, that I think Jim Bob Cooter is kind of going to act as the buffer between the two. But at this point, there's there's really no belief, no reason to believe that Patricia doesn't believe in Matthew Stafford. And I, I believe, uh, you know, when he was doing interviews off with individual reporters, he called him outstanding. So it it'll it'll be different for him. But considering he's a defensive guy, I just think he's going to let the offense be what it is and what it was. And and be happy with that and just kind of oversee it, see how it goes. And I, I don't suspect there will be any really difference in what we see from Matthew Stafford in 2018. So should we not expect the Lions to draft a quarterback in the 2018 draft this year? Well, it's interesting you ask that because Bob Quinn went out a, a couple of years ago and said it's kind of smart to do that every every year, every other year. And last year they did it, but they ended up losing their guy. Um, whose name is escaping me right now. Uh, shoot. Sixth or seventh round guy uh, ended up going to the Panthers. Drawing a blank. But anyways. I have no idea. <laughs> uh, he was actually at the top of mock drafts in 2016, but then had a really bad year. My, oh, Brad oh, Kaya. Brad, Brad Kaya. Kaya. Brad Kaya. Got it at the same time as you. Yeah, Brad <laughs> Kaya. Um, Lions drafted him last year. Ended up getting poached from their practice squad. Um so uh, the Lions essentially have a need there as, as their third developmental guy. But no, they're they're not going to be drafting a guy in the first two days, if that's what you're asking. Hmm. That should be interesting to see if they do go a middle round uh, guy, because, um, well, I, it, it should be interesting. And a lot of teams are starting to do that now. And I think it is the smart strategy is to always just and. I mean, just seeing what the Eagles did um, with Nick Foles. Like, I think it's just, it's always good to have a backup quarterback that you're obviously not as confident in as your starter, but just someone that you do trust that will keep things in motion if um, the starter goes down. So that should be interesting. Is there, what do you think is the general sentiment surrounding Matt Patricia's hire. Is there a lot of excitement? Is it just like, oh, we finally, like after the playoffs over, after these rumors and that Patricia was going to be the guy after weeks and weeks, he is officially going to be the guy because, you know, there was that Mike Vrabel stuff um, early on in this process. And now it's just, now, now Lions fans know it's Matt Patricia. They know the direction. They have 
the harmonious front office head coach situation. They know Matt Stafford's going to be understanding. They know Jim Bob Cooter is going to be running the same scheme, and they're going to try and improve the running game with Jeff Davidson. Like, oh, is I, it seems like that would be a positive spin and something that Lions fans are excited about is that like there's this continuity that makes sense. And just from top to bottom, this is a situation that now looks just right. Yeah, I, I think absolutely. I think there's a lot of excitement. I actually, I actually ran a poll if seeing just if Lions fans approved of the hire back on Monday when the Lions made it official and 90% said yes, which it, it's very hard to get 90% of Lions fans to agree on just about anything. So that's a very positive sign. And yeah, there's this feeling that finally when Bob Quinn took over this team in 2016, that was, it still wasn't his team then. He still didn't have his players. He still didn't have his coaches. But now all of that is set. All of the pieces are in place at this point. The Lions have their their franchise quarterback. And, and there are a lot of fans that really believe that you know, think they could turn around things this year. You know, they were, like you said, the, the, this team was 9-7, and seven, just barely missed the playoffs last year. And with everything in place now, I, I think Lions fans think there's only room to go. Basically, the only direction for this team to go is up. And I'm sure that's what 99% of fans think about their fan base, or think about their team during the offseason. But there's there's really no reason to believe the offense will regress any with, with Jim Bob Cooter still in place. And the defense was the, the Achilles heel of the team last year. And now they have uh, one of the most respected defensive minds in the league running the team. So I, I get all the optimism. I'm not ready to declare this team, you know, an NFC championship contender, but there's a lot of excitement in Detroit. And even though this hire has been known for the past, you know, four, four weeks, I think everyone is a little more reinvigorated now that they've actually seen him sporting, you know, some lions attire and, and seen him speak about the lions. One thing that scares me is just how deep the NFC North is now. Yep. That is, someone has to finish last. <laughs> and Aaron Rodgers, by all accounts, will be healthy and fine going into next year. They're probably going to spend now with Ted Thompson in a new role. They're going to be active in free agency. They're going to be better. And as long as Aaron Rodgers is under center, they should be fine. The Vikings aren't going anywhere. And, you know, the Bears look like they're making really interesting, positive uh, coaching hires as well like i think namat Nagy is a pretty solid hire and they're going out of the box with the college route with mark helfrich as their new offensive coordinator and they kept vic fangio and that defense was improving and you know i just think the nfc north is just going to be a bloodbath next year so it, it would not surprise me if the team is like especially the defense is better but they actually finished like eight and eight or seven and nine in year one yeah even they like they could finish with less wins than this past year's Lions team which i don't know um I don't know how you would know this better than me is like, just how, what kind of reception that would be. Like, what is the, the expectations? Like how many wins do lions fans want to see? And are they thinking about like, Oh wow. The NFC North is actually going to be really, really difficult next year. And like, this is going to be, it's gonna be tough. I mean, I'm with you hundred percent. I, I think lions fans at this point, they got a little bit of tunnel vision. They're just kind of focused on what's happening in Detroit and, and are very mm -hmm. excited about it. But I'm, I'm a thousand percent with you. I think this is going to be one of the best divisions in 2018. I, I think the bears are starting to do things right. I think, like you said, the Vikings, they might take a step back, but it's not going to be a big one. And yeah, as long as Aaron Rodgers is, is, is in green Bay, they're not going to be irrelevant. 
And so, yeah, it's it's going to be a tough climb. And, and it's interesting that you point out that they might be a better team next year but have a worse record. That's essentially exactly what happened in 2017. You know, they, they were actually statistically a much worse team in 2016 when they actually made the playoffs with a 9-7 and seven record. Statistically, they, they improved on defense. They had about 15, 20 more turnovers uh, forced by the defense, and the offense pretty much held pat. But they stayed at nine and seven and missed the playoffs. And I, I could see that happening for a, a third straight year just because, I mean, you just look at the NFC this year it was much better than the AFC. And yes. a lot of these teams atop the NFC are going to stay atop the NFC. You know, obviously, I don't think anyone is thinking that uh, basically anyone in, in the NFC is, is really going to take a step back. I think Cowboys, you know, expect to take a step forward, if anything, with uh with Ezekiel Elliott being back. Uh, and yeah, I just, I just don't know who takes a step back in the NFC and especially as you said, in the NFC North. So it's, it's a bloodbath is the perfect way to explain it. It's going to be a bloodbath yeah. in 2018. There's only like, if you look up and down, like just the NFC in general, there's only like, I, I guess the Cardinals, I would assume is going to be terrible next year. They're going to go through a slight rebuild. Four Niners, I think are genuinely like NFC West, like, contenders yeah with yeah Garoppolo in this team and then the seahawks i think even with their coordinator hires being absolute dumpster fires they're <laughs> going to be there and you know just going up and down like just how good the nfc south was like the bucks i guess i would assume are going to be terrible again but you know it's just it, it, nfc man it, it's going to be tough and you know not to rain on the lines parade because it's a good lines day they got a new coach and i think they're going to be better as a whole but like we both just talked about, I think there is a strong possibility they end up as a better team in 2018, but with a worse record. And, you know, I think what you should be looking for, if you're a Lions fan, in my opinion, is just not losing on a, a runoff situation <laughs> like this past year. Because, I mean, as a Falcons guy, like it was hilarious and just mind blowing that that's what just happened. But as a fan, I'm sure like that is the most Detroit thing ever and something you want to avoid going into next year so if you can avoid that maybe it's a win for matt patricia not to lose on a uh, 15 second runoff roll yeah it'd be nice not to set off uh, the competition committee to to figure out a new way to fix the game that was incredible it might have been just one of my favorite nfl moments of all time of just like the realization of what just happened of like oh that that's gonna be a 15 like that's it that's just the game (laughs) that's it and you know you know what would have happened if the if that hadn't happened and everything else had stayed the same, the, the Falcons no. would be nine and seven. The Lions would have been 10 and six and they would have been in the playoffs instead. Yeah. Wow. Oh my God. Well, <laughs> <laughs> sports are, why do we follow sports, man? Sports are dumb. <laughs> sports are dumb, but that's a good way of uh, ending this. Is there anything else uh, you wanted to touch on with the Lions before we get out of here? I don't think so. I'm just still kind of riding the high a little bit. Uh, as, a, as a Lions fan, these are the kind of things that we get to enjoy. We don't get to enjoy playoff wins. We don't get to enjoy, you know, Super Bowl weeks, anything like that. So when, when they change coaches, this this is our Super Bowl, and uh, I'm trying to enjoy it as much as possible. And you get to enjoy home improvement reruns. That's not, no. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, not that. Um, all right, man. Well, this was fun as always. Thank you for taking the time. We can find you on Twitter at Detroit Online. We can read you at PrideDetroit.com, the best Detroit Lions blog out there. And uh, good luck next year. Um, <laughs> it's going to uh, hopefully good things. I know it's Detroit. And I know it's the Lions, but hopefully um, you get your first playoff win in my lifetime. <laughs> Almost mine, too. <laughs> oh man all right thanks man thank you and that'll do it for today's episode of the chase thomas podcast i just want to remind you guys if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on apple Podcasts or itunes i would really appreciate if you could take a second leave the show a five-star rating and a review if uh, you're not an apple podcast listener remember you can find the show on spotify tune in radio soundcloud stitcher google play or wherever else you get your podcasts uh, be sure to check out chasethomaspodcast.com where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. And also follow me on Twitter at chase underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash chase Thomas writer. Uh, thank you for your support and we'll be back with another episode very soon. Thanks guys.